Welcome to Formula Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And today, Cindy, this is one for the birds. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, and it's not about baseball. The baseball is coming. Oh, those are it, good birds. It's mm-hmm. about, I mean, something, frankly, I know that you and I both love to cook and eat. Birds. Very much. Very, very so, much. And I think people certainly are very accustomed to dealing with chicken. Though there are some mysteries about chicken. But there are a whole lot of other birds worth uh, worth playing with out there, mm-hmm. worth roasting and grilling and sautéing and right with access that you have uh, through ordering online now, you can get anything you want. I mean, it's it's you know it's if your local butcher doesn't have it or if for some reason can't get it for you, which uh, it's always nice to be able to see it in real life before you buy it. You want to make sure things are nice and fresh, um, and uh, you know birds are volatile just like seafood. Uh, it's a poultry, um, you know, you want the, they need to be stored nice and cold, very, very cold, close to freezing, and they need to be nice and fresh. Um, needs to smell good, needs to smell like, you know, it's with a lot of things, checking for freshness is common sense, checking for, does it smell good? Does it look good? Does the color seem good? Is it slimy? Yeah, duh, we don't like slime, do we? Nope. And definitely don't want any of our fish or our birds to uh, be that way. So if you are able to check it out from the butcher or you just ch- trust your butcher, then great. If not, I'm sure you can find it online somewhere. Now you have you have a little a little pet chicken. I'm about to say what you have. <laughs> you have a, a, a chicken, a smaller roasting chicken. You know uh, that that comes from a particular source that you like. And there are a couple of sources. Let's 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 knock out the chicken out of the gate. Okay. What? Okay. What 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 do you prefer? The little birds, um, Poussin is one of um, just, it's just such a great uh, uh, opportunity, particularly for us uh, at where I work because our portions are smaller and half of a Poussin is really a good portion for us. So that way I can serve uh, the breast and the uh, leg meat. And um, we also get uh, what's called a green circle chicken. It's a, a chicken that's produced um, by farmers and, and they're fed in such a way that they're eating really, really uh, kind of like great table scraps from good restaurants. It's, it's kind of amazing what these, these birds get to eat. And of course, like it, with all uh, livestock, the better the environment that the uh, bird or animal grows up in, the healthier the environment, the healthier the bird, the happier the bird, the better it is to eat. Uh, less stress, better it is to eat. So take it out of its cage and put it out and let it live a normal life. Um, it's going to be a whole lot happier and a lot better to, to eat. So the smaller birds are nice because, again, let's say, you know, it's two of you at home or maybe even four of you at home uh, that you're cooking for. Uh, these portions are lend itself to uh, having a great green salad first course or maybe you have, you know, smoked salmon or you made it a terrine or something that you want to have first course and you can end up with this slightly smaller bird portion. So the whole thing with, with roasting uh, any kind of chicken is uh, getting good caramelization, uh, seasoning it well. That's inside and out. Um, in the cavity, out of the cavity. So let me back you up a tiny bit. A poussin, um, we might refer to a poussin uh, in English as a, yes, it's a young chicken, but spring chicken, literally. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the, they're, they're, they're smaller. They're going to be less fatty. You have to really nail it when you, when you cook them, or they can be dry. Right, right, absolutely. Right. 
and and you know i know i know a lot of people because they're maybe they're not you know not experienced cooks or not cooking things over and over and over again like we do um you know you live in this fear uh because we all want to be healthy and not make ourselves sick sick through eating food or making anyone else ill is is that you want to cook it all the way through but cooking it all the way through if you go past that it's going to be dry, which you also just, you know, we're talking about. So, you know, let's really always the best way to check uh, to see if a chicken is is uh, done is to just lightly pierce the leg meat uh, with a like a little paring knife, the end of your paring knife. And if the juices are clear, that means there's no blood in there. It's done. Um, and then the more you cook something, the more you know when things are done. Yeah, I think that if, if you're using a thermometer, and it's certainly a good idea to use a thermometer. You, you, you don't check the breast, you check the right. leg. Um, the, the thing is, mm-hmm. when the leg is completely done, the breast may be dry cause it's go- because it's going to go faster. Right, right. So when you're seasoning the bird, that can be as simple as light salt and pepper on the inside and salt and pepper on the outside. You could put a little couple pieces of fresh thyme in the cavity. You could put citrus in a cavity. I like orange with um, uh, chicken. You could do lemons. And, you know, you could also put a little mirepoix in there, you know, sort of sliced onion, shallot, a little bit of carrot. If you love garlic, you could put a couple of garlic cloves in there. And it just sort of perfumes the bird as it roasts in the oven. You can start at 350 degrees and then uh, for about 15 minutes and then knock it down to 300 for the rest of cooking. And if you see you're not getting really great color, you can bump up that temperature back up uh, before the end of cooking as well to get some good caramelization on the outside of it. You know the methodology that I prefer always begins like a heavy pan on the range because mm-hmm. you know me, I like fire. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and it's always shallots and garlic uh, in that cavity. And the, the, the classic dish, the poulet d'estragon, um, you, you rub everything with, with lots of fresh tarragon and, and especially use it. Eventually, you'll, you'll, you'll use more in finishing the bird. But if you put the garlic and the shallots in the cavity when it starts, eventually what happens is as the, as the fat is rendered from the chicken and goes into the pan, the shallots and the garlic, honestly, from time to time, because you're turning it to brown on all sides, they fall out. And when they fall out, they flavor that fat. Mm-hmm. And then you slip them back in there, and then you baste the bird with that fat. And it kind of happens again and again. And when you're browning on the range, yeah, if you but- use a little bit of tarragon vinegar to well, – it could just be white wine vinegar, a little bit of tarragon vinegar to, uh, to just give it a little brush and then baste with that, the browning will stop pretty well, and you can just slip that guy into the oven, like you said, 300, 325, and let it finish out. Mm-hmm. The basting is big. I mean, you know, we talk about turkey. I immediately thought of turkeys when you said that. That's a long cook time. You want to keep that skin uh, crisp, um, uh, moving in the direction of being crisp with what you're basting with is basically fat, as you said, that's coming out of the bird. Um, and some there's some juice as well. And um, But yeah, basting is, a, is an important process. And also... Um, you know, we often are cooking in a, on a sheet pan, which is a shallow uh, vessel to cook in. At home, you, you're talking about cooking in cast iron, Tony, and that's the beauty of cooking at home. It, you know, you have this this one dish that you're going to, you know, you can literally serve everything out of, and you've introduced vegetables into that dish. Uh, you had vegetables in the cavity, then you add vegetables at the end. 
cooked and all that fat and juice and um you know really really capitalize on that maybe you're adding near the end of cooking parsnips to that pot um you know some other vegetables turnips if you like them yeah. brussels sprouts i mean all kinds of things could carrots golden beets mm, yeah beets that are already cooked by the way so. yes cindy let's let's swap the smaller birds okay okay let's mm -hmm. let's let's go to some of the i think the trickiest one to me, it's got to be pheasant. Pheasant lean. is marvelous, but man, it's lean, mm -hmm. and oh my goodness, that's it's just it's trickier to deal with. The skin is thinner. There's less fat under the skin. Oh my gosh, and there are all these little tiny millions of little uh, bones on the leg too. So just be conscious of that when you're working with it, um, because you know if you are say deboning it, uh, you want to make sure you lose every one of those little bones. But pheasant is delicious. Uh, just don't overcook it. So you know be very careful in that cooking process. I might suggest that you, uh, if you can, of course you can roast the whole bird, or you might be really successful taking the legs off and confiting them, and which is nice because especially since that is a leaner bird to to add that fat to the process that's a good solution because you you end up when you confit when you confit it or if you braise it you're going to pull the meat and then use them in a different way use mm -hmm. them in a fricassee or something uh with uh, mm -hmm. the first chantra mushrooms that are coming up which would be pretty fun to have right we are about to get our first blonde morels in this week. I am so excited, Tony. It's funny, we were just talking about them. And uh, the first wild ones from Oregon are coming in tomorrow. And uh, that with those gorgeous morels with the pheasant would be fantastic. Mm. You know, saute them in a little butter with a little bit of fresh thyme in the pan, salt and pepper, and let those caramelize just a little bit. And mm, that would be little bit of cipollini onions or pearl onions or roasted garlic and some maybe some carrots and mm. the morels with uh, the roasted pheasant breast that that sounds great to me that's uh you know we, we 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 talked about getting to bordeaux later in this program and uh that some of the richer white bordeaux the wines from pesac are really not not just grab but pesac leonion uh, and there are famous ones that are super pricey, but there are other ones that are marvelous that are not wild priced, like a Malloc de Gravier, uh would be super with pheasant, with morels. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we, we uh, also have uh, crawfish in today, and I could also see adding a little bit of crawfish tail meat to that pheasant course with the uh, morels. One of the other things that would be fun for our folks at home, because it's so simple, is to do a Dijon cream sauce for something like that mm. as well. You know, super easy. Heat up a little bit of cream, you know, add a touch of salt and pepper, whisk in a little creamy Dijon mustard at the end, and that would be delicious with that, you know, whole, you know, the uh, either your chanterelles that you were talking about or morels. And man, that would also be good with a crawfish. Just not one, not too much mustard, and no, and yeah. two, I, I guess maybe I think instinctively a little stock for some body. Sure, but I, I was trying to make it easy, and yeah, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> if you have a little stock at home, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> uh, it's that that the having stock around thing is a little bit addictive. My uh, my eight year old, this is a very tangential. We're making uh, uh, pasta brunch on Sunday. And so, of course, you know, she, she wants to discuss the sauce with me. And it's tomatoes and roasted mushrooms and, and uh, like spicy sausage. She's like, Dad, it needs some stock. 
Wow. (laughs) Yeah, so when she's 16, she's going to start working in one of the kitchens, I think. Yes. (laughs) She'll be ready. She's probably going to do whatever she wants to do. Giving her a great head start. She is. Oh, of course. In charge. Well, so, yeah, with with pheasant, and then you have birds like the squab, which is a totally different end of the spectrum as far as flavor goes, and just rich and sweet, though. That's one of the cool things about birds. They have a sweet tone to them, naturally. I do. When we when we get into our, our next segment, let's talk about red meat birds, because that's a different thing. I'm going to throw a little plug in here for my very favorite white meat bird, which is guinea fowl, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which is a treat to roast. Guinea fowl is the opposite of the pheasant. It's got a lot more fat under the skin and has a tremendous amount of flavor. And if you roast that patiently and baste it nicely and season it well, Oh my goodness, that rewards! And even just roasting it with a little bit of rosemary, or when uh, when you know the, your all-time favorite black truffles, when black truffles are in season, putting little slices underneath the skin, um, any other sort of fun things to to toss in there that you want to go for it. But just the guinea fowl itself, its flavor and the flavor that comes from the fat, and the amount of flavor that that skin takes on crisping in that fat, roasting in a pan is nuts and that's that's a very good meal for a family of four or a very rich one for a family of two right <laughs> on sunday uh for service i roasted a guinea fowl and when i i went to pull the breast meat off the bird there were still just these gorgeous pockets of golden fat uh right near the wing um underneath that skin and I just pulling that off and looking at it i'm like ah oh, this is why this is so good and uh, i served it with wild uh porcini uh risotto which i made with dried porcinis because we don't have porcinis right now and that oh my gosh again that sort of earthy gorgeous ethereal almost flavor of those porcinis and that risotto and then the bird and the fat and also i made a i had a squab and guinea fowl and rohan duck in house so i had all these beautiful bones to make a great stock oh my gosh and all i did was make a broth with it Usually I would take that stock and reduce it down and make a sauce, but I'm like, no, no, no. All this really needs is this beautiful, sweet, gorgeous stock. And, um, you know, we served it with a spoon and here you have this risotto, this beautiful, gentle, you know, gorgeous guinea fowl breast and um, that broth. And mm, that was a nice Sunday dinner for folks, I think. I would think so. And guinea fowl is the one white meat bird that wants red wine, gentle red wine. And, and maybe Bordeaux red wine again, you know, something not a giant vintage uh, and not one of the really dense Cabernet Sauvignon driven wines, but maybe Santi Miguel, um, softer year, uh, 2011, 2017, um, 2004. Th- those are all things that, that will show up, especially if you've done anything to intensify the flavors, let's say reduced, uh, you know, stock into a more serious sauce or or uh, have, have additional roasted elements. You, you can you can do something that has a bit more power, but but uh, a relatively gentle red Bordeaux would work nicely. Sounds good. When we come back on Formula Wolf on Food and Wine, Cindy, I hope you're ready. It's red meat birds, everybody's favorite. On Formula Wolf on Food and Wine on WIPR. Mm-hmm. 
Welcome back to Formula Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And Cindy and I are talking about birds today, roasting them, eating them. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny, I don't know. This what when something is when a bird is cooked really well, it makes me happy. I want to eat it. I want to drink the proper glass of wine with it. And we've got to move into red meat birds. I, so yeah. what in the world is a red mm-hmm. meat bird? Well, one of the best is squab. I would describe quail as a red meat bird as well, and magre. So these are all birds mm. that have, you know, the potential like magre with all that gorgeous skin and nice fat under the skin. You know, magre to me is sort of like eating a great steak, a great it, beef steak. And you're talking about a, a you're talking about a, a magre duck breast. Right. The magre is a cross between a Millard and a Muscovy bird. And uh, their meat is very red. The breasts are quite large. And like I said, the fat cap on top underneath the skin is, is just one huge, you know, just gorgeous uh, layer of fat that needs to be scored um, with a sharp knife. Do not go down to the meat. Just gently cut through the fat and the skin and uh, score it. And then that way you can gently cook out some of that fat because you don't need it all um, and uh, brown it lightly in a pan and then flip over and saute the meat in that beautiful fat that you just uh, rendered out. I will admit that every time I render out that duck fat to, to cook my at home, I always save the duck fat and then use it for turkey burgers to make them. Oh, good. That's <laughs> to make nice. Them less healthful, but a whole lot more mm-hmm. satisfying than it would be on their own. And I, I like to pull out that beautiful fat and make parmesan with it, uh, which is a thin sliced potatoes cooked in a, say, a cast iron pan and a thin layer with salt and pepper and just you brown both sides. Like it's only like three layers of potato, so it's not that thick and you can brown both sides and still cook the potato, finish it in the oven. Oh, so good. But That'd anyway, a, so yeah, magre is one of the greatest birds ever. That that parmesan would be a nice accompaniment for uh, a piece. So t- talk about searing a piece of magre you talk about rendering the fat from it. Mm-hmm. And so then to finish it and, and to what point it wants to be cooked. Sure. Flip it over, you know, start to sear it and cook it nicely in that in its own fat and then pop it into a 400 degree oven. If it's if you have convection, go ahead and turn it on and um, let it cook to medium rare. It, 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 literally, it will take four to five minutes. It's a pretty fast process and um, let it rest. Absolutely. Let that that bird rest before you slice it because it will uh, really give off a lot of blood otherwise. So let it rest for, you know, five or six minutes and then nice thin slices. I season it very simply with salt and a little bit of pepper. You could certainly uh, wave around a little rosemary in that fat before, um, you know, you go into the oven, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't put the rosemary in the fat in the oven. If you do anything, maybe sit it on top of the uh, bird as it sits and roasts in the oven. But really, that's all, you know, you, you really, medium rare or medium rare or medium is all the further you'd want to go with that. A little like a piece of, uh, you know, New York strip or, or ribeye. I, I think you really want to stay, if that's how you eat those meats, then the magre, you would want to stay with the same temperatures. Yeah, the reality is the fat is pretty much all on the outside. So mm-hmm. if, you, if you take it much past that, it starts to get pretty tough. And once you get past like medium well towards well, it likes to seem a little bit gamey. Yeah. Otherwise, it, it, it doesn't particularly seem gamey. It just seems, and, and the blood is sweet on those birds. Yeah, so good. About a decade ago, maybe a little more than a decade ago, I was in uh, the southwest of France, so in, in Bordeaux, but also in Marigan and Gaur on a trip. And I had seven meals in a row with different uh, wine producers. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say with birds. seven meals... <laughs> This was, this was in March. Well, hang on. 
This was in March, and I was served magre every single time. Oh, wow. And an entire magre every single time. So those are usually, what, 14, 16 ounces, something like that? Yeah. And, yes. And some version of pomme dauphinoise, right? <laughs> wow. And, and then dessert was always... there. <laughs> besides the potatoes, there were no vegetables at all. This is like definitely, you know... Cardiologic emergency by uh, by southwest of France, and uh, and the dessert was they were all uh, duck fat made crust uh, crab apple tarts because crab apples had just come. And uh, oh, how fun! You know, the that's, first meal I loved it, and the second meal was quite good. <laughs> when I got to the seventh, the seventh meal in a row in four days, it became a lot. Yeah, I thought it was going to become a duck. You Wines said the whole magre. Yeah, the, the entire magre. So I, I ate which seven pounds of magre. <laughs> both breasts, which is crazy. That is a huge portion. Yeah, it's, as you said, they're they're pound. Every time I buy magre, it comes in whole. It's a pound. Wow, that's crazy. Well, okay, you ought to know a lot about magre now, Tony. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so, Tony. I definitely learned about pairing wine with magre, okay? Cahors, it works. Of course. Madirin, a little too tannic for it. Okay. Uh, when I got down to like uh, to Grave and Pesac, those 50-50 Cab Merlot blends uh, that are pretty sophisticated, delightful with. Mm. Uh, Pomerol, dead on, I'm definitely my favorite. Uh, there's a sweetness and a certain like irony uh, minerality to those wines. And Pomerol are th th that neighbor of Saint-Emilion that's almost entirely Merlot. Um, but, oh my goodness, it was... Like, okay, every day. It's like wine pairing school on, on uh, Magre Duck. I, That's good. I need you to tell the story about the first time you had the squab, squab at Ma Cuisine as we move on to squab as a bloody bird. Oh, so, yes, at a restaurant called Ma Cuisine in Bonn, uh, a big favorite over the years, one of their signature dishes is a very particular squab dish. Uh, squab is pigeon, but a bit younger, so it's more tender and a little bit less gamey, though it still has good intensity of flavor. And squab, you want to cook it to, uh, like the duck or maybe even a little bit less, medium rares as far as you want to take it for sure. And uh, and it's and it's unusual. And, and But the first time that I had it, I was shocked by the flavor. And it was definitely, and, and you said this, in an, in an almost comic way, uh, I, I don't know how else to describe it to you, besides, like if someone like looked up a a, a recipe in, in a book and was making it at home, like a, you know, like a like a home cook's like semi Asian, uh, meaning that there's like there there's soy in that and there's a little sesame oil in that, uh, and there's some kind of vinegar I could never quite identify, and whatever the marinade is, but that bird really got perfumed with that with that seasoning and oh man oh man and it's just cooked between two pans two black steel pans for you know i don't know how many minutes would you would you guess maybe six probably yeah six or five yeah it's quick yeah. and then and then rest it's one of the best things i've ever eaten it's a ridiculous thing oh, and it's just i think there is two, totally actually. simple it's totally simple but it, I mean, literally marinate the bird, 
the both the pans are hot. Put it in the pan. You know, it's it's a little bit like polo alla matone, mm-hmm. the the way that she would cook it. And one of the first time that that you had it after me bragging about it, you're like, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever. I'm sure it's fine. You immediately ordered a second one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> I'm like, I need to eat that again. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 she's a remarkable chef, and and that restaurant is tiny. I mean, to put it in context, what are there? You know, one, two, three, four, five, six, maybe what ten tables in that restaurant? Something like one that. big one in the middle. Yeah. It's a tiny place, and um, I mean, and her kitchen. I know her kitchen is really tiny, and it's just remarkable what they can produce out of that very very small space. And um, they feed a whole lot of winemaker people that come from all over the world to eat in that that uh, beautiful village uh in that beautiful restaurant it's a very simple restaurant my cuisine means my kitchen and uh yeah Mm -hmm. there's several things there that are destination worthy but not in a fancy way and you literally are like sitting at a kitchen table that being said pierre has a foolishly well-stocked cellar and his his knowledge is excellent you know me i'm not so good about taking wine advice from other people and uh, Daniel Labravier mm-hmm. and uh, Pierre at Ma Cuisine, right. those two, they know what's up. They know what's right, up. Right. Hey, Sin. Speaking yes. of yeah. backing up to, uh, to to Muscovy ducks, who doesn't like duck leg confit? Everyone likes duck leg confit. I think that eats birds. You want to tell a little bit of the the history mm-hmm. of the dish? Yeah, it's what it's, the point was. You know, it comes back to the days before refrigeration and, you know, for, th- for you know, all the, the lifetime of cooking that's been going on, people have had to figure out how to eat when uh, things are not available, like in the wintertime. And um, so they had to figure out how to preserve things. And that's why we have these beautiful preserved hams all over, you know, Spain and here in the United States and uh, in other countries. And, and so with confit, it's a way of preserving the duck leg so that you can eat it months later. If you, back in the day when they would just store them in, in, the, in the ground in a cool place or in a cellar in a cool place, or maybe you had a spring house and you, um, that's where you stored your uh, potted or jarred things. So um, it needs to be immersed in fat. That, the enemy of freshness is air, uh, moisture, uh, and so we don't want things to mold. We don't want things to dry out. And by encasing it in fat, that 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 does that for us. It, it achieves what we need to achieve to preserve. And, well, and d- d- ducks have a tremendous amount of natural fat. And yes. It can be, and like we like we talked about with the duck breast earlier, you can render that fat off, and it takes a quantity of fat in order to in, in order to make duck like confit. Um, but first step is seasoning it, right? Right. So bay leaf, peppercorns, a little bit of red wine, uh, thinly sliced onion really is, is a great start. Garlic, cloves, um, just sort of uh, let it salt, um, let it all just toss it all around in a, in a dish and um, let it sit for, you know, overnight. Um, and then the next day, immerse it in fat and cook it. And when I say red wine, I mean just a little bit dabbed around. Well, and you, it's refrigerated overnight, and then what you need to do is that, it's funny, I have an old stove uh, confit pot that probably holds four legs or something like that, um, that's, you know, that's several quarts, 
and it's kind of a tall, skinny pot, and you can you fill it with a, a pretty mm-hmm. good level of fat. And Lord knows, during during uh, the shutdown during the pandemic, I made confit, and uh, th- that was fun. And did one sure. with ro- with rosemary and star anise as far as uh, for seasonings with garlic. Oh, that's and, nice. And that worked really. That's nice very thing. unusual. I like it. It was time to play around. I made All right, so probably the- four different okay. kinds of French fries in that pot. <laughs> so the idea is that you cook it on very, very low heat for a long period of time. So say 260 to 275 degrees, the duck is immersed in the fat, it has to be absolutely covered, and you don't want to see it, like it should never simmer, it should obviously never boil, uh, you'll you never destroy brown it. it. So, right, never let it brown in that process. Low and slow, like so many things that are so very good in cooking. Yeah, like so many things that are duck you're still looking at Bordeaux wines and, and still looking at probably richer, softer, even like uh, an Omedoc or uh, uh, Bordeaux Superior from a good year, like 18, uh, would probably be delicious with confit. Um, but it's got good flexibility wine-wise, for sure. Other kinds of ducks, Cindy? I started working with Rohan ducks yeah, probably about a year ago, and they're more typical, you know, sort of with the layer of fat that probably people think about uh, versus the magre, naturally. So, um, and you know, take that with a grain of salt when I say that. But it, it, the birds roast really beautifully. I found that the legs do cook um, sort of nicely with the breast. In other words. Once the breast is done, once the legs are done, I don't feel like either one are overcooked. I like to put a little bit of orange slices, fresh thyme, sliced carrot. And once you have that in the cavity, then you can roast the bird at 325 degrees. It's it's about 25 minutes to get to a nice pretty medium uh, on the breast and the leg cooked. And uh, just then let it rest you know, quite a bit before you think about slicing. I think you're gonna be really excited about all the different things you can do with the breast meat and the leg meat on that bird. It's also a really, really good bird to make a, a duck terrine from. Yeah, it'd be delicious. If that's your jam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cindy, these are definitely all things I love to eat. Oh, my goodness. When we come back on mm-hmm. Formidable Wolf on Food and Wine, let's talk about something I love to drink. Let's talk Bordeaux wines. I'm going to do a bit of a primer, and uh, I know, Cindy, you've got some questions for me, don't you? Absolutely. On Formidable Wolf on Food and Wine. Welcome back to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And Cindy, we want we needed to get quail taken care of, right? Yes. So how, how would bird. you describe quail compared to some of the other birds? Well, first of all, it's really little. So it's the smallest of all the birds. It's a little bit smaller than the squabs that we get in. So we typically serve them whole, which is nice because then you get the advantage of it remaining on its uh, bone structure and the flavor of the bones and just sort of leaving it intact like that, um, not puncturing it in any way, just keeps in all the juices and it can just be really incredible. So what we like to do is uh, sear it off in the pan first. So it, because it is such a little bird, you wanna get some caramelization going and, and uh, you really kind of need to hit the pan first with that. So a, a saute pan, high heat, little bit of uh, neutral oil like corn or canola 
uh, coating the bottom of the pan and then kind of hit all sides of the bird, the legs, the breasts, the back. Um, you do season it lightly with salt and pepper inside the cavity, outside on the skin prior to doing anything. Um, I would also back up and say, when you're working with any bird, just a reminder, I think we talked about it at the beginning, but, you know, wash them in inside and out first. Um, you want to make sure there isn't any, and, and also make sure there aren't any of the body parts inside oftentimes, uh, <laughs> particularly with, yeah, that would be a bummer. Um, oftentimes yeah. with squab or pheasant and uh, certainly chicken for sure, they will leave uh, the, the uh, uh, a liver little bag part. of goodies. Yeah, it's a goodie, a goodie it's bag a for bag, sure, and yeah. it's often wrapped in plastic. Um, uh, sometimes in some sort of uh, sort of uh, special paper, but oftentimes in plastic. So you do want to check out that cavity. Um, take remove that. Um, sometimes they stick things in the back of the neck as well, um, particularly on a turkey. Um, because it's such a big bird and that's a pretty good sized cavity, they can put the uh, giblets and things in there. So do that, check that, wash it with cold water, of course, and absolutely no soap or any other solution uh, in case you've never cooked before and don't know what it means when we say wash something out and then pat it dry. Uh, you don't want any of that in liquid in there. Inside and out. Inside and out, which will also pull some of the bloody parts that might be in there. Sorry for saying it that way. And then um, season it. And then when you're ready to cook, Put your pan on, nice stainless steel pan, hopefully, heavy duty, a little bit of neutral oil, and uh, begin to brown that bird. Pop it in the oven. Um, I would, you know, anywhere between 350 and 400. Kind of depends on how uh, properly your oven's working. You do want a, a bit of high heat because you kind of want it to cook relatively quickly. I wouldn't go any faster than 400, though. And then cook it until it's medium. Uh, squab, I always cook rare to medium rare. Uh, that bird just loves that. Um, it's better that way. Um, pheasant, uh, guinea fowls, we cook all the way through until they're with maintaining moisture, not overcooking and drying them out. But with quail, medium to medium well is really perfect temperature. If you start to go medium rare and quail, it's a little odd. If you if you go past medium well, it's it's like super gamey. It just turns a corner. Yeah, yeah perfect you know. medium is perfect. Mm -hmm. yeah, if if nice it's one of those like if it, if you, if you cook it to medium and it rests a little bit and goes up a tiny bit, then that that's mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. that that's ideal. I, I'm gonna tuck back into what your description was on the preparation. Season the inside of the cavity as well as the outside. That's a big deal. Cindy, so so quail uh, garnishes, you know, some things want mushrooms, some things want fruit. What do you think about quail? Oh, oh, gosh, there's like a million. <laughs> there are a million things I could put with quail. Um, I, I love the idea of country ham and red grapes. It is uh, sort of a southern and also uh, uh, sort of a, almost a little French dish as well with the grapes. And um, so I think that kind of answers the question. Country ham is nice and salty and it's a wonderful pork product and the grapes are fruit. So it does kind of show you the range. Um, I also love pecan stuffing with quail. Um, I love potatoes oh, yeah. with quail. I like root vegetables with quail. So, you know, roasted baby carrots and chipolini onions or roasted shallots, um, a little bit of roasted garlic and with maybe a couple of different types of onions, certainly mushrooms. Um, morels would be really good, any kind of mushroom. Um, but I definitely kind of tend to think, I guess, in the end, maybe like squash, like butternut squash or, or um, gosh, fruit, yeah, qu qu pears, quails, apples. Quail's a little bit milder. Quail's a little bit milder than uh, squab. Mm -hmm. But it, 
it's still, I think it does well with a little bit of a, of a fruity accent or you said pears, pears are great. Mm -hmm. uh, I do love nuts with mm -hmm. so pears and hazelnuts or something along cherries. Oh gosh, if we have Bing cherries in season, that would be really good with quail. Maybe toss in a little raspberry vinegar and just fresh on the plate, or you could cook some uh, port wine and, and a little stock reduction and add cherries to that on pickup. Oh, that would be good. My quail for me, it's funny. They're, they're, it's almost like an outlying bird as far as pairing things with it. They're really excellent Syrah from the Languedoc in the, mm. in the south of France that uh, maybe from the village of Pif Saint Loup or uh, or uh, maybe Saint Joseph in the northern Rhone Valley. Those things do really, really well with quail. But some, and it's funny, and I don't love Syrah with a whole lot of other birds, but I do. Okay. Th those Syrah-driven wines I love with uh, quail. That's great. Where is the Languedoc? South France, west of Avignon. Okay. Um, close to the Spanish border, mm. north of the Pyrenees. Uh, not as far west as like Toulouse. Okay. Okay. Languedoc. All right. Yeah. So that's, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's good about quail. I mean, I think we've hit all the birds really, you know, sort of the fun ones that we like to work with. And, you know, there, I think there, it's just there a, are a great bunch of others. There are a bunch of others, but you don't run into partridge in the grocery store all that often. Exactly. I think some of these things are pretty, or most of these things are very accessible. And, um, yeah, I think it should be fun for folks to try and work with them at home and, and experiment and... You know, I think it's 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 it gives you range in your cooking, and opportunities. All right, so is it time to talk about oh. the region of Bordeaux? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we talked about doing a little bit of a Bordeaux primer. So, all right. Um, do you have questions about I Bordeaux? Do. It, it's it's. Let's define it's, the region. Where is yeah, it exactly? I mean, it's in the southwest of France. Um, Bordeaux. <laughs> when you think about it, it's it's been uh, a popular wine and sort of a big commodity wine, a well traded wine because especially in the 1800s, 17 and 1800s, uh, the, the British really dominated shipping. When you think about it, Aquitaine in the southwest of France, where Bordeaux is sort of the heart of it, uh, on, on the seacoast there and along the riverbanks, uh, that, that whole area traded constantly. And a lot of land was owned by uh, you know, relatively wealthy uh, British settlers, you know, ex-military, mm. so on and so on. Mm. Um, but it, those wines were, were heavily traded and became popular because of that, first and foremost, and because they can be excellent and live a very long time. Okay. So, <clears throat> go ahead. No, I was just, just going to say, they're, they're Bordeaux wines that I've had uh, that were, you know, 100 years old, approaching 100 years old, that were still in, in very good shape. And and other things like we we drank a 1971 Chateau Latour, not an A plus vintage, uh, but still a, a good vintage for Latour in particular. And that wine, you know, at age 50, uh, 51, uh, a couple of weeks ago, delicious, right at its peak, and will hold there certainly for another 20, 25 years. That's so amazing. So when you taste a wine that's like 100 years old, how is it different from? you know, a more current wine? Well, something, I mean, something that's young, it, it was, it used to be fruit just recently, right? <laughs> you know, right. so all of those flavors are dominant. Those are the primary flavors that are going, that are going to be there. A lot of the secondary flavors that 
as that fruit begins to fade, you know, it's almost like a half-life, just slowly, and depends upon the grape and the region and all of that. Mm-hmm. But it depends upon, there's, there's a balance that happens where the primary favors uh, fading and secondary flavors and aromas beginning to become uh, more present. They were there kind of hiding, you know, but it's almost as though uh, it, it's like the flower that blooms and then gets to the very best place and slowly decays is sort of the way that, that a wine ages. So when you've just had the bloom, you, you have an idea of what's, what's there. You have a, a, you know, a very small, very focused snapshot of what's there, but you don't know what's possible through time unless you're tasting it all the way through time. And things like the tannins, that sort of chalky business in your palate, um, and on the sides of your teeth and the sides of your mouth with, with big red wines like Bordeaux, those, those tend to fade through time. Uh, you'll see deposits uh, precipitate through the, from the wine onto the sides of the bottle. You can notice those uh, even in younger wines sometimes. But th- those are just solids that are falling from the clear juice that's in there. Uh, but, that, but some tannin is carried with them as well. So when you say secondary flavors, is that tannin or what, it, what is a secondary so something, flavor? Let's, let's say something has very black currency mm-hmm. aromas or very blackberry aromas and flavors. And then as it ages, you'll notice uh, there's, there are more, more and more mineral notes that are there, uh, the, okay. the, 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 the gravel that's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. or, or the, you know, that. So the down and dirty stuff or but, not dirty, yeah, the but low notes. I mean, when you think, when you think right. of, Flavors and aromas, you kind of go through levels. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a full orchestra. You, ha- you have, just in the string section alone, it's bass, cello, viola, violin, right? Mm-hmm. So in a wine, think about it. There, there are things underneath. There are things, you know, sort of in that, in that baritone range. And then there are things that are kind of like full of voice uh, with more focus and then, and then high notes that kind of float above. Okay. What are the grape varietals in that region? Let's go on to that. So the most famous one uh, for reds is Cabernet Sauvignon. The most widely grown is Merlot. Uh, but there's another uh, Cabernet, Cabernet Franc, uh, that's important. Uh, there's Malbec. And there's Petit Verdot. And they all bring different qualities, and they all want to be grown in different soils, and uh, depending upon where in Bordeaux you are and exactly what soil types and conditions, different growers plant different grapes to get the best result. Where they plant the grapes, it's almost like tuning something. The right soil type will bring a grape to its best truth that translates the soil most successfully. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Cool. So at Merlot and Pomerol, uh, one of the villages... A smaller one, and wines that I have huge affection for, and that are a bit dear, I'm afraid. Um, those, the Merlot there, it's, and those wines are usually 90, 95 percent Merlot. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they give you big, broad wines, uh, great richness, really plummy fruit, very dark minerality that can almost run like iron, uh, if that makes sense. Yep. What are some of the houses in in Pomerol that you like? Oh, Vieux Chateau Certain. Uh, Chateau Le Gailly. Oh, yeah. Uh, a, li- a little house that's not as crazy hmm. expensive as some others that he's making super wines it's, and they're becoming better known and better reviewed, which will drive price, unfortunately, in the future. Uh, Chateau Feti Cliné 
F-E-Y-T-I-T-C-L-I-N-E-T, Fetikline. That to me is like a sleeper. Um, Chateau Rougeau is also one that's a good value, R-O-U-G-E-T. Um, and uh, I mean, they're, they're a whole bunch. The sure, most famous, that, like super to... expensive wine, Chateau Petrus, mm. uh, is a Pomerol wine, and those are at several thousands of dollars a bottle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Pomerol's neighbor is Saint-Emilion. Uh, Saint-Emilion is a lot of Merlot also, and Cabernet Franc. Mm-hmm. At times, as much as two-thirds Cabernet Franc, but largely it's majority Merlot. Okay. Uh, right nearby, better value than both, is the Cote Castillon, which is Merlot-driven mm-hmm. as well, uh, sort of like little brother, Saint-Emilion. And then the famous estates, the, the first growths, like Chateau Lafitte Rothschild, the Chateau Moutin Rothschild, Chateau Latour, Chateau Margaux, uh, they're all uh, in the Medoc, and and those wines, those the villages there, uh, most of those are in Poyac, the second for northernmost of those villages, and that's gravelly soil. And those wines have great fortitude. North of that is uh, Saint Estephe, uh, more clay soils. You see more Merlot and blends, but that's like usually 60-40 Cab, uh, Cab Merlot. And then south of there, Saint-Julien, uh, just south of Poyac, uh, which is a, a little bit like junior Poyac in that there's a lot of Cabernet Sauvignon, but they're not quite as dense or intense uh, or gamey as young wines. A, a little good introduction, Saint-Julien, to Cabernet Sauvignon driven Bordeaux. South of that is Margaux, the village, and Chateau Margaux, the most famous estate in that village. But there are many excellent, softer Cabernet Sauvignon in that sandy soil coming from there. And then an area I particularly love, uh, Pessac Leonien, uh, which is in the Grave, which is near the city of Bordeaux. Uh, Chateau Aubryon, the other first growth is there. Chateau La Mission Aubryon, and uh, Chateau Le Carme Aubryon. Le Carme Aubryon, and those wines are about 50-50 Cab Merlot. Uh, Le Carme Aubryon is the sleeper. That's uh, a lot of Cab Franc, sometimes as much as 60% Cab Franc. Uh, and then, and then Merlot and Cab. And those are softer, and the nose is very ethereal on those wines. The nose is very, very interesting, especially a little more exotic on the wines from uh, Pesek. What does first growth mean? In 1855, there was a classification of uh, estates in the Medoc, and uh, first through fifth, and then Cru Bourgeois, right? Okay. Uh, and those are based on merchants' prices at that time. They were based on the potential of the estates. Uh, and largely, they're pretty accurate as far and, and, and the difference between a, a, the fifth growth and a first growth in price is enormous. Okay. The, the trick in buying is to find the fifth growth or the newly uh, improved like third growth that you know that, that out you know outruns its price, let's say. Okay. Outperforms so, its price. So as we know, Bordeaux can be very expensive. Where would you tell people to start? Uh, I think it's most interesting. If you get a chance to taste things from different areas next to each other, it's crazy interesting. Um, and even if it's more, that even right now, you've got 18, 19, and 20 coming for wines. Uh, and you had 15 and 16 prior to that. And 17 is still a solid vintage. You have a lot of excellent vintages in the pipeline that are young wines that will give you an idea, even modest ones uh, from those years will give you an idea uh, 
but the more you begin to learn the regions through through taste and comparison, through aromas in comparison, the more quickly you begin to learn that. That's great. Thank you. And of course. And yes, I completely skipped the white and sweet wines. And uh, remind me, we'll have to get to that as, as spring comes along. That's great. Awesome. Good and that's know. all we have time for on the Formula Wolf on Food and Wine. If you want to listen to this program or any of our other podcasts, go to the WYPR website, wypr.org. Look for the Foreman Wolf page, and there's a full menu of goodies there. If you want to email correspond with us, it's foremanwolf at wypr.org. And if you want to follow Chef Cindy Wolf on social media, you can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram as Chef Wolf. My Instagram is the real Tony Foreman. Thanks for listening. Happy Sunday. <laughs>